Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. So I want to be, I want, I know we're meeting online and, and, and this isn't the way we would have picked to do it, but here we are. We're gathered around, we're rallying around God's word. And I would invite you just to take a deep breath with me today because the words are so powerful. And I would love it if we could be doing this like over a cup of coffee um, and, you know, and not via, by way of the internet. But, but the reason I say this, and I know this is a sermon, I know you're like, well, Mark, if we were having in-person church, you still couldn't do it over coffee because you have to preach to the whole congregation. But, but I want you to hear this as a conversation between you and myself and yourself. And the reason I want you to hear it that way is because of the enormity that's here. In fact, I've been like nervous today. I don't ever get nervous when I preach because as many of you know, it's like Mark can preach anytime, anywhere, and that's a problem, right? Sometimes we just need to shut him up. But this one I'm nervous about because because I don't want us to miss this. This is one of those scriptures that I grew up missing. I didn't see it. And I mentioned to you a story about that because, you know, I, I didn't become a pastor until 2015, which is only five years ago now, and um, I spent a huge part of my adult life just keeping God away and, and, and pushing his idea for my life back, pushing his calling back. And I know that I'm in front of people and I talk and everybody's like, I'm never going to do that. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about his calling. We're talking about his calling for you. And as we saw in the reading that Lair read to us, there's so many different ways that, that those callings play out. And the minute that you and I stop keeping God away from us and allow him to come in, it changes everything. This is why I'm nervous. Because I'm nervous because I want, I, I pray with all of my heart that you and I would receive this, this idea, this gift, this power about his calling upon your life. His calling could be so simple as so that when you go to work tomorrow, that now, instead of focused on what you have to do, you'd look around and look at what they are doing and maybe encourage and support. You're, the calling could be so simple as that when you get home from work tomorrow, that you maybe come in the house and instead of complaining about the dogs, I'm talking about myself right now, <laughs> instead of complaining about the dogs, that you love the dogs, that you love your family, that you encourage and support at home. It could be so simple as that when you go to the lake, I think the weather might finally be good and you may be able to go to the lake and just have fun, that when you're out there, you would receive the gifts that God gives through the water, the sky, the sun, the birds that fly over. Do you you see where we're going? I want you to see these scriptures from this point of view. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. We've been highlighting the word therefore and many times this morning, and we continue to do so. He says, I therefore, the, the Apostle Paul carried by the Holy Spirit as he writes to us from prison. So the therefore is wanting us to go back and remember of God's grace. For it is by grace you have been saved, not of from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one could boast, but that they would have the, <laughs> they would have the freedom They would have all of the things that are included in Ephesians 1 through 3. This whole business of being one new humanity, set free, empowered to love their neighbor, 
right? So that you could do the works God created for you in advance. And, and, and so it's this idea that I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he's, he's saying, remember all that about the grace of God, a prisoner for the Lord. Don't let your circumstances be impacting all of this. Don't, don't let, you know, he, Paul could be sitting there going, how could I be here? What did, what did God do to put me into prison? You know, instead, he's, it's the opposite. He is saying, I'm in prison. It's an opportunity to write to you and to tell you all of this. I urge you, he says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Take a deep breath again. Take a deep breath. What makes you worthy? Therefore, it's the therefore. That's what makes you worthy. God makes you worthy. For it is by grace you have been saved. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one would boast. It is by faith. It is by faith. It is this idea that God comes to you and he speaks. In one way or another, by his power, you and I are made, made capable of hearing. See, this is, the, this is the worthiness that you and I have, is that he speaks into your life, he speaks into my life, and we simply hear him. And when we hear him, we are worthy. John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, the people were like, what must we do to do the work of, that God requires? And Jesus says to them, to, to believe in the one he has sent. This is the work of of God. This is what makes you and I worthy is to believe in Jesus, to hear his voice, to hear the voice of the Son of Man, to, to, and by hearing, to live. Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead, but God has made you alive. Remember, God is not interested in making bad people into good people. He is interested in making dead people alive. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling. This is not some sort of call to clean living, do more, try harder, get better. We're going to see what he's talking about. The idea is that we would have a heart that is open to the possibilities of God. And this is why I'm nervous. Don't miss this. Hear his voice. That we would have a heart open to the possibility of God's work in your life. And in mine, our worthiness comes from hearing his voice, not from our behavior, not from our choices, not from our past, not from our present or our future. It's from him. You have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the power of the gospel. This is the manner worthy of our calling. He has called you and I to bear with one another in love. And boy, do we have occasion to do so in the year 2020. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone disagrees about everything. We disagree about the pandemic. We disagree about social justice and all of the things that overlap between those two things. We disagree about the coming election. We disagree about what color of shirt I should wear or you should wear. And we'll figure something else to disagree about, even if we were to solve those issues. You see what this is. 
We have to bear with one another in love because you and I were called to participate with Jesus in his effort to make one new humanity. Jesus wants you and I to be free to live together with him forever. He wants that for everyone. And what we do is we get caught up in outrage because this is what happens when we don't bear with one another in love. We get outraged. Take a look at verses four through six. I want you to look for outrage here. See if you can find it. (laughs) He says, there is one body. He says, there is one spirit. Just as you were called, you, that's right, you and me were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this is, again, I've said it many times, I'm nervous. Is it possible that we could let the word all mean what it means? That we could let the Bible say what it says, that we wouldn't come with our systematic theology and try to bolt it on top of these words and try to change the meaning of them to match with our preconceived ideas. This, is, this, is, this causes me to be nervous because this has tremendous implications. There are seven ones on this page of Scripture, and they're all a calling. They're all part of our calling. They're everything that God wants. If you ever want to know what God wants, what he's desiring, what he's after, this is it. He wants one body. He, he is one spirit. He has called you and I to one hope, and he is our Lord. He is calling us to one faith and to one, by one baptism, one God and Father of all. And what's ironic is is if you look at that, you can see the history of the Christian church and all of our divisions right there. Everybody goes, Mark, there isn't one body. There's 3,927 or however many you want to count. There, There may be one spirit, but we all put our hope in different things. Mark, it doesn't work because, yeah, there may be one Lord and but, you know, one faith, nah, people have different faiths. They believe in different things. They have different theology. They have different doctrines. They have different teachings. And some people say there's like two baptisms or three baptisms, or maybe I need to get rebaptized annually just to make sure it takes or whatever it is. They don't believe in one baptism. You know, and then one God, well, you know, maybe all the religions are about one God or whatever. And you, you see, this is what happens. And people will be like, I don't think that's true. This makes me nervous. Could it be possible that it is true? Could it be possible that this is God speaking to you and to me to change the way we view everything? Remember the therefore. Remember, you were called by grace. You were given the gift of your faith freely. Everything he did, he chose you and I before the foundation of the earth. He did it so he could create one new humanity and he works through the church to announce to all the rulers of this dark world that the manifold wisdom of God is here. And what is the manifold wisdom of God? Hmm, let's take a look. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, all, all. So see, this changes the way you and I look at one another. 
Because now I might look at somebody and say, I don't agree with you. I don't like your politics. I don't like the way you handle this situation or that situation. I don't like the way you dress. I don't like you the way you... Do you see how this goes? But yet they're part of the father's family and he is their father and he is working through all and in all. You're like, Mark, he can't work through them because they ain't a Christian. <laughs> Let's see what our systematic theology does. Who is over all and through all and in all. Was Pontius Pilate a Christian even though God worked through him to save the universe? You see, this is it. But see, God isn't content with just working through pawns in history such as Pontius Pilate. He isn't content with that. What did Jesus say about the Romans who were nailing him to the cross. He asked the Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because Jesus loved Pontius Pilate. Not because he was trying to wash his hands and not participate in the political agenda of Caiaphas and the high priests and all the others who were conspiring against Jesus. But because he was a child of the God the Father Almighty. Just like that person who has the other political view that you don't agree with. Just like that person who treats you like, a, like trash at work. Just like the person at school who always bullies and treats you poorly. Just like the person, every time you go down to the dock, they're there. Screwing things up, messing things up. They don't do it right. I'm giving you just silly examples. You know. Sometimes it's your spouse who won't listen. Who won't respond. Who won't care. Sometimes it's your kids or your parents or that uncle or aunt or that friend who just doesn't seem to learn. All of the people in our lives, I'm nervous. I want us to hear these words. We were called to be one. You know, in the history of the church, we always, we always elevate our value of doctrine. Where is the elevation of this value? This is God's value. And this is the true doctrine. This is what we're called to. Take a look at verses 11 and 12. Now, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. I've been nervous this whole time. I've got to just take a break. I've got to breathe easy. So I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. That always gets me in a good mood, right? Well, I know Anthony wants me to talk about Star Wars, but next time, trust me. But this time I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs because um, the Kansas City Chiefs have not had a lot of success during my lifetime until now, right? Now, of course, um, there was this moment in the Super Bowl, this just past February, right before the world turned ugly, right? And so there was this moment in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs were down by 10 points. There was only seven minutes left in the game. It was third and 15. And my football hero, Patrick Mahomes, goes over to his offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, and he asks this question, do we have time to run Wasp? It was this play. It was this play, they had used it against the New England Patriots a year before in the championship game to great success. And they knew that they could get a big play and turn the whole game around. And they ran the play and Tyreek Hill caught a 45-yard pass, I believe it was, and it changed the game. They went on to win the Super Bowl. Woohoo! right? See, now I'm not nervous anymore. Now I'm excited. But here's the thing, guys. It was a play call. It came from a playbook, a plan. And you need to know God's plan. I know everybody who doesn't like football or doesn't like the Chiefs, they're like tuning out. Listen to this part. Listen to this part. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. 
This is better than wasp. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is God's play call. This is God's play call when it's not third and 15, it's fourth and and infinite infinity. There's no way that it seems this would ever work. We all feel like the church has failed. We all look at the church and we see its hypocrisy and we look and we see all of these problems. And I agree with all of that. I feel that. It may shock you, but I actually became a pastor because of that. Because God wanted me to, so that we could talk about this together. Look what he says. He gave. So first of all, he gave us these things. What did he give us? What did he give us? He gave us apostles. Now, apostles are just the Greek word that means sent ones, the ones who are sent. They're like the delegates. They're sent all over the place. And, you know, the apostle Paul, we call him because he was sent to go to Ephesus. He was sent to Corinth. He was sent to Thessalonica. He was sent to Athens. He was sent to all these places, and he showed up everywhere talking about a man who rose from the dead. And over history, many, many, many others have been sent, and they show up and they talk about a man who rose from the dead. And then there's this next group, the prophets. Now, a lot of us think of prophets, and we think of a man like, um, you know, who's dressed in camel's hair and, and eating honey and locusts, like John the Baptist or something like that, who is just really, really weird, and we don't really want to hear anything they have to say. But prophets are these people who proclaim both what has happened and what will yet happen. A prophet says, Jesus loves you no matter what. A prophet like Isaiah, for example, who said, it's too small a thing to just save Jacob. No, no, no. We have to save the Gentiles. We're going to send the Messiah to save the Gentiles, the outsiders, the ones that are out there. He will be a light unto them, the prophet Isaiah said. And so this whole business of prophecy, of both foretelling and forthtelling the word of God, there are prophets still in this world today, who are proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Take a look at this next one, the evangelists. The evangelists, you know, you you, you remember from a couple of Sundays, the last couple Sundays, we talked about the euangelion, or as you might pronounce it this way, the evangelion. So the evangelists, the evangelists, the gospelers, that's what these are. These are people who will go into a room and, on, and, and they just command everyone's attention and they want to talk about Jesus. That's what an evangelist does. Talk about the good news, the salvation that comes only by the name of Jesus. My, the, whenever I see the word evangelist, I think of my mentor, Pastor Dar. He, his gift is evangelism. And everywhere he goes, you can go out to eat with him. Three people will come to know Jesus at the restaurant. I mean, this is how he works. And this is his gift. This is what he does. And so God has seen fit to give us people who are sent to plant churches, establish communities, people who proclaim what has happened and what will yet happen, and also people who will go everywhere they go talking about Jesus 
And then there's this next one, shepherds. Now, the Latin word for shepherd is pastor. So these are troublemakers, right? And so this is where we, we get the word pastor. But a shepherd is someone who shepherds a flock, who makes sure everybody stays inside when there's a storm, who runs the wolf off when they come, and so forth. And I'm called to this office in, in my role here at Praise and Worship. But it's important that you know that a shepherd sometimes has to also teach because the shepherds are also didaskalos. They're teachers, right? And so they, they, this is kind of a two for one special, you might say, which is why we have to go to seminary and learn all kinds of things so that we can teach. And so a shepherd will, will take care of the flock, but also teach the flock, which we're doing right now. And we do a little bit of evangelism. We do a little bit of prophecy. We do a little bit of being sent. But the idea is God has designed all of these different tasks for the purpose that you and I would receive his gifts. And look at, what it, look at what they are. What is the purpose? To equip the saints. To be prepared. So that you're going to be prepared for what is to come. It's not a churchianity thing. It's a Christianity thing. So this is idea to equip you for the work of ministry. A lot of times when people see that work of ministry, what they think is they're like, okay, I got to go serve at the, at the clothes closet. I got I to gotta work at the food bank. I got to go go to the homeless shelter. I got to do all things. And all of those are powerful, tremendous ministries that Christians are called to. And we're going to see that. But guys, don't limit it to those things. Don't limit it to church programs or, or anything like that. Allow it to be, remember, we want to allow the, the word of God to open our heart. Allow it to be anything and everything that we're called to. It may be as simple as putting up with your landlord. That could be a ministry. The word there is diakonos, which is where we get our word for deacon or deaconess. It's this idea of people who serve. It's serving one another. It's laying down for those people who need help. What are we doing this work of the ministry for? For building up the body of Christ so that we would be one. Take a look at verse 13. Now, this is um, the MLV, Mark's literal version, so you got to watch out. And I did it this way because there's a couple of key words I don't want us to miss here. Until we all come into the unity of the faith. So we're building up the body of Christ. What are we doing? We're building up the body of Christ. How long? Until we all come into unity. And so when, when I hear people say to me, Mark, the church is the most divided group I've ever seen. I'm like, that just means we got more work to do. Quit complaining about it. And, and roll up your sleeves and join me in the mission, right? This is what Jesus calls us to do. Yes, are, are Christians arguing amongst each other? Yes. Are they believing conspiracy theories on the internet and making our witness to the, to the world harder? Yes. So let's get to work. Look at what we're doing. We're working until we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to the, and, I, and the ESV kind of like does it like manhood, which is, you know, in our culture, that might be totally misunderstood as some sort of misogynistic thing. But the Greek words are teleos and oner, which means a completed man, yes, but that's because in their culture, a completed man was the ideal, right? Especially in Greek culture. Hello, have we seen the Olympics, right? That's what the Olympics were invented for, was to celebrate the, the person who comes to completion. And they did not only allow men to work in that, but the idea was is that, is that this I, here where we're talking about the knowledge of the Son of God so that you would be who you were meant to be. We gather online and we rally around God's word in a season of pandemic so that we can love our neighbors, right? We're loving our neighbors by not gathering in person so that we can protect those who are in, at risk. 
and we, we gather online so that we can continue to be built up into the unity of the faith so that we would be moving closer and closer to being this completed person, the person God always intended us to be. He doesn't want us to be anybody else. I'm not called to be Pastor Dar, and Dar is not called to be me, and I'm not called to be Joel or Aaron or Anthony or Mariah. I'm not called to be any of those people, and they're not called to be me. But each of us are called to be in our particular walk of life, our particular vocation, which is the Latin word for calling, so that we can work together And look at this, to the measure of the prime of the fullness of Christ. It's like thinking of someone in their prime. You know, if you think of Jesus at his best, holy mackerel, that's awesome. That's what we're, that's the measure that he's inviting us into. Take a look at verse 14. So that, this is the reason for all of this. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Lair, I loved how you read that, by the way, so I'm just going to go listen to that again. So, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And I got two squigglies on there, one for Psalm 1 and one for Psalm 2, and we're going to talk about those. So this idea that we would no longer be children, he's talking about this idea that we can't be easily deceived. Okay, we can't be easily um, taken advantage of, tossed to and fro by the waves and by every wind of doctrine, every teaching that comes across. I have to tell you, there's so many teachings that come across, especially now that we're all online and we, we do all the things on the internet. There's just so, you know, it's like um, Hank Hanegraaff, guy used to listen on, on the radio. I love one of his phrases. He would say, um, lies can spread across the internet faster than truth can put its boots on. I, li- I like that language because it's exactly how it works. And so, and so you, you log on to your social media and boom, there's a new video that came out that says, we have all the answers to whatever problem you have. And you're like, See, I knew it all along. There's been a conspiracy. Oh, really? Oh, really? And then, and, then, and then what we do is rather than focus on the fact that Jesus is Lord and that we should love one another and that we're called to the unity, the bond of peace, then what we're doing is like, see, I knew those, those nasty political groups that I don't like, I knew they were behind this all along. Meanwhile, on the other side of that, then there's a bunch of people saying, look at those idiots that believe that. And here we are again. Here we are again. And look at what it is. It's every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul has been warning us all along. It's the powers and the principalities. It's the rulers of this dark world. And they love nothing more than when they can get all the humans biting and devouring one another. And Jesus is calling us to unity, to unite. Because his purpose all along was to unite heaven and earth in Christ. All things in heaven, all things on earth. And all means all. And this is his calling. So Psalm 1 is my first squiggly there. I want you to highlight that Psalm 1. What is Psalm 1? Psalm 1 says, you know what's awesome? You know what's really cool? Is when you have a person that roots their whole life in God's word. Now, if you read the English versions, they'll translate it as law, and you're like, I don't root my life on God's law. Well, you should, because his law means all of his word. It means everything. It means page one of the Bible. The Lord said, let there be, and there was. Page three of the Bible, humans said, we will now define good and evil for ourselves. And now all of a sudden, we understand the problem that we're in. And but also on page three, verse 15, God said, I am going to send one to save, right? 
he says to the serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And I'm not nervous anymore because when we say that, you know what the devil has to do? He has to run away. I'm not worried about it anymore because Jesus is Lord. I'm not nervous about how these words are going to hit you or hit me because I trust in what he has done and what he will yet do in us and through us. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. So Psalm 1 says you root your life on God's word. You're going to be like a tree planted by the river if you do that. But in Psalm 2, <laughs> there's this point that it's, like, it's almost like right out of 2020. Oh, but the nations are going to rage, and they're going to assault the anointed one. His name is Jesus. And they're going to come up with all kinds of wicked and deceitful schemes. The nations are the rulers of this world, not the humans, the demons. And I know everybody's like, Mark, hey, we live in 2020. It's we're science. We're, we're, our, our whole life is defined by science. We only believe in what we can see with our eyes, except that we, we actually don't. We believe in all kinds of other things, which leads us astray. And the truth is, there will always be schemes. There will always be conspiracy theories. They will plot in vain, Psalm 2 says. It's in vain. You don't have to take the responsibility upon your shoulders of protecting God or his people. Your responsibility is not to solve the conspiracy theory. Your responsibility, my responsibility, is to love our neighbor and to participate in building up the body of Christ and to create, and I shouldn't say create, but to help with the unity of the bond of peace. Take a look at verse 15. Rather, look at what we do, we speak the truth in love. We're speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I hear Christians say this a lot. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. And what they really mean is, I'm going to be rude to people with a slightly nice tone of my voice. That's what they really mean. They speak the truth in love just is code language for, I'm still going to tell you what I think, and I'm not going to care how you feel about it, but I'm going to try to be a little more gentle, I guess. I don't know what it is. But actually, speaking the truth in love is not anything like that. It doesn't mean to be nice when you're telling people off. <laughs> That's not what it means. Love. So let's see how Jesus spoke the truth in love. He's being nailed to the cross, and he says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's speaking the truth in love. And you know what he had to do? You know what he had to do in that moment in order to speak the truth in love? He had to surrender his rights. That's what he did for you and for me. He had every right to be set free from the Roman government that day. He had every right to be set free from the Jewish government that day because all of their case against him was invalid. It was false. It was a conspiracy. He just said, forgive them. And he pressed forward, surrendering his rights out of love. There will come a day when you and I politically, we might need to talk about rights. This ain't the time. Right now, we talk about love. We speak the truth in love, and we live our lives in love, and we lay down. Jesus said, you know, it, you know, it's, you know for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die, but true love is to die for your enemies. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. This is speaking the truth in love. And we're called to do that as we grow up into Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's a heavy weight on me because I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Jesus is like, come with me. I don't know how to do that. You're called. I don't know how to do that. 
You're called into your calling, and I will provide the grace. I will provide the mercy. I will provide the love. All by my spirit working in you. You don't need to know how to do that. For 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it is in your weakness that my power will be made perfect. So actually, all he needs is our heart, a desire to serve him. That's it. A choice in our mind and in our heart to say, I don't know how this is going to work, but I trust him. That's where we're at. He is the head. He is the Christ. It doesn't mean to be nice. It means to surrender our entire lives and to go with Jesus to the cross. Take a look at verse 16. What church is? He makes the whole body join together. He is uniting it through the supporting of every ligament. As each part is working, he makes the body grow so that it is building itself up in love. He will do the hard stuff. He will do the stuff that you and I cannot do, but he will do it. I started out telling you I was nervous because I'm like, can we believe these words? It's not up to me. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to him. And he is here promising it that he will do exactly that. He is promising you and me that he will do this. He makes the whole body join together. This is Mark's literal version because I don't want you to miss this. He is uniting it through the supporting of every ligament. As each part is working, he makes the body grow so that it is building itself up in love. Not in outrage, not in protecting our rights, but in love. That's what the Bible says. Mark, are you? No, that's what the Bible says. Trust God's word. Trust Jesus. Believe in his promises. He said, for it is by grace you are saved. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God so that no one would boast. It is by faith. So that you and I who've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works will be able to do them. Therefore, therefore, Hear the calling to which you are called, one body, so that we might grow together in love. Please pray with me. Father, I ask you boldly, right here and right now, to set us free from any nervousness, to put us on the path toward unity, to help us to see that it is your working, not ours. There are no obstacles that you can't overcome, and so therefore we should believe your promises. Give us the power to do just that. I pray boldly for every, everyone who hears these words that they would put their trust in you anew and that they would approach their life differently this afternoon than we started this morning, believing that unity is possible. Unity is possible. Set us free on this path. Lord Jesus, in your mighty name, who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit and the Father, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.